Internets is Reggie Osei, a.k.a. Combat Jack, of the legendary Combat Jack Show, one of the longest-running hip-hop podcasts out there today, one of the best and one of the most informative, one of the most entertaining, all of that. Listen to The Combat Jack Show podcast on Apple Podcasts and any other streaming services out there today. Raise the bar. We're taking our show on the road in front of a live audience where you need to be. On September 7th, we're sitting down with actress and activist Rosie Perez and her husband, artist and designer Eric Hayes, at the Bell House in Brooklyn. Hayes, by the way, did the logo for our podcast. On September 22nd, we'll be in Washington, D.C., speaking to Chef Jose Andres. You can buy tickets at nprpresents.org. Come out and hang. Maybe at some point when we get together again, I can play like play you some of the demos. Like with uh, this song, it was originally was like, oh little lady, oh little lady, I like the Oh, little lady. Oh, what the hell? <laughs> what the man? That would have never made it. That would have never. <laughs> that was not even happening. Yo, 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 everybody, this is Stretch Armstrong. And I am Bobito Garcia, a.k.a. Cool Bob Love. Welcome to What's Good with Stretch and Bobito, your source for untold stories and uncovered truths from movers and shakers around the world. Today's guest, Stevie Wonder. Stevie is one of the most brilliant and beloved musicians of all time. A prolific songwriter, performer, and political activist. In a minute, we'll talk to him about all of his advocacy work outside the music game, how he creates pieces of art that are timeless, and we'll dig up some of our favorite Stevie records. Before we welcome our guest today, we're joined by a close friend of ours, a world-renowned producer, record collector, DJ, and Stevie Wonder Evangelist, the one and only DJ Spinner. Da, 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 da. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so a little backstory for our NPR audience who may not know who the wonderful DJ producer that house and hip hop and soul fans respect and adore so much. Spinner, you and I created this sort of Stevie Wonder homage called Wonderful, a tribute to Stevie Wonder. Share with our listeners how the wonderful party started and what it represents. Well, the first inception of it was a small intimate party that happened, I want to say the year was 1999. And you and I were the musical co-pilots. Mm -hmm. And we went really hard into his catalog and did some research. Yes. And we were actually, it was a lot of friendly competition going on. Well, we were like, it, it wasn't really a competition. I could never I said friendly, with, yeah. friendly <laughs> no, I, is I, the key word because you got me on some records, Bob. I did. <laughs> also, that party really influenced a lot of other party throwers and promoters and DJs because that was like the, the blueprint for the tribute party. It all started with Stevie, wonderful, and... Um, and deservedly so. Like, if there was to be an inaugural tribute party to an artist that would live in the club space, why not Stevie Wonder? Coming up next, Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder. 
Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Red Bull Radio. Whether it's the latest dancehall out of Kingston, techno from Berlin, underground hip-hop, or old soul gems, Red Bull Radio is the place to tune in and discover great music that's new to you. With in-depth interviews and live performances from festivals around the globe, plus music handpicked by influential artists, journalists, and DJs, you'll know what you're looking for when you hear it. Listen at RedBullRadio.com. Joining us now from his studio in Los Angeles, sitting at his keyboard, Stevie Wonder. He's won 25 Grammys. Yes, that's 25. And he's the only artist to win five or more Grammy Awards on three different nights. He's also in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He sold over 100 million records worldwide. Should I sing over this? <laughs> do what you gotta do. <laughs> Stevie! Stevie! What's up? Stevie, welcome to our show. What's my pleasure, truly. Yeah, I, uh, I wonder if, like, you know, you're dressed up right now in a white tank top and a do-rag, like, with some, <laughs> with some unlaced sneakers, like, with some socks down on your ankles. Like. <laughs> no, right now I'm looking really good. <laughs> really good. Seriously, I'll send you. I'll send you a picture. <laughs> Thank you, my brother. I'm curious to know if there's a side of you that you feel gets lost when you're facing the public. I mean, how is the Stevie Wonder, the man, different from the public persona? You know, amazingly, it's pretty much the same person. I mean, I can't say everything that I would say amongst my friends, but pretty much so. You know, it comes out the same way. So, Spinner, you you know Stevie Wonder pretty personally now. You've been to his house. You've been to his studio. How would you say Stevie Wonder's <laughs> <laughs> behind the scenes? Spinner, watch your mouth, Spinner. <laughs> listen, listen. <laughs> you know the rules. You know the rules around here. <laughs> He's a keep it realer. Let's just put it that way. He keeps it 100% all the time, you know. You know, if if it's on a personal level with friends, you may get a little more... Deeper. Uh, yeah. More to the point. But it's always real deal. Always. In this, in this time and place we're living in, where you never want to be uh, spreading fake gossip, you just say it like it is. Tell the truth. There it is. Mm. Well, listen, um, Stevie, I, I'm always so thrilled to think about the... The shift that you caused with your socially conscious lyrics, um, if we go back to the early 70s when you really took over your writing, your composing, both in a spiritual level, but also in a telling and revealing way of what was going on at the time. I think of the line from Big Brother where you say, you've killed all our leaders. Pardon me for singing. I just can't help it. <laughs> Spinner, don't, don't stop me either. You're the right? wrong key. <laughs> You were close. You, actually, you were, you were, um... You killed all the leaders I don't have to do and do nothing to you This is in Z, right? Yeah, this is in D flat. Yeah. You killed all the leaders I don't even have to do nothing to you you can cause your own country to fall. It's too early to sing the octave above. I'm sorry. No, please don't apologize. But so, Stevie, was what was the inspiration to say, you know what? 
I've sang about Hey Love. I've sang about my fingertips. <laughs> <laughs> Let me sing about what I know that's going on in my community and beyond to try to make an impression on my audience. Is there a singular moment there? You know, it's very similar to like what's happening to me right now. There's so much that's been going on that I've been seeing that I haven't released. I've been writing about it in my head and writing so many songs. So back then, obviously, I didn't write Fingertips, but I did it and, you know, all the other songs I did too. And, you know, the difference between then and now, uh, back then I had this tape bag that I carried around for years of melodies and ideas and all that kind of stuff. I had in that bag, you know, my Sheree Moore, the idea for my Sheree Moore, uh, the idea for Hey Love. Uh, um, I had a chance to put the music, you know, to to work with Henry Cosby and uh, Sylvia Moy. It was the melodies and, and the, the music idea that I would give them. It was a great marriage, one that really made it possible for me to continue to be at Motown because I think by the age of 14 and a half, they had this meeting at Motown. They said, you know what? His voice is changing and things are different. We don't know what to do with this kid. I think we're going to have to let him go. Wow. What? And, 14. And so, Wait, um, is that when you were a, a little nappy-headed boy? <laughs> well, I... I <laughs> You know, I was a little nappy head before that. <laughs> but yeah, it was in that time, uh, way before cornrows. <laughs> and just for the record, the reason I got cornrows is because I was so tired of my mother coming on my hair, and it hurt. Really? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. And I liked the way it felt. But um, it was that Sylvia Moy said, you know what, I think I'm going to commit to working with him, if Hank, if you're with it. He's got some melodies and some some things we want to kind of like mess with and see what we get. And so they did, and we started doing stuff together. And then it was all those, you know, little Stevie Wonder to Stevie Wonder, you know, young Stevie Wonder hit songs, you know, from the Nothing's Too Good to my, for My Baby to um, I Was Made to Love Her, which is about a girl that I was crazy about named Angie. But then I had the pleasure of hearing the synthesizer. Mm. And Motown had a Moog synthesizer in the engineering shop down in the basement. It was like, oh, man, this is magical. And then by talking book, you know, there were other things that I wanted to talk about. And uh, that's where we did Big Brother. Hmm. And Big Brother was really a lot of what had been happening that I had been seeing. Uh, I think I had read the book 1984. There were references to all that in the, in the lyric, but I was seeing that there were things happening, that history too much was repeating itself to the negative. And so... I wrote about it. Hmm. Well, your work in politics isn't just limited to music. You really led the charge to make the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King's birthday a national holiday, which was a 15-year-long process. Um, what was what were some of your most memorable 
moments from that experience for you, if any. But I never saw it as like being political. I just saw it as being the right thing to do. Hmm. I just felt that a man who had fought for the economic, social, and civil rights for all people should be recognized for the greatness that he did. And for those like himself who lived and and died for that should be recognized. And uh, when people would say to me, hey, a black holiday, I said, no, this is a holiday for everyone. He was a black man, and as I said, he was an African-American man, but I'm not looking at a color of a person's skin. But as Dr. King said, the content of the character. I just really believed that it was time to celebrate Dr. King. And as opposed to being in the spirit of, oh, please, please, I don't beg for it. You know, this is something that should just happen because, you know, it's for everyone. You know, it's for that farmer who is having a hard time. It's for that black man who is being, you know, there's prejudice against. It's for that Native American who really, you know, hosted the people that came here. Not first, but they came here. Hmm. Uh, you know, it's for, you know, in the spirit of all of the various people that have done great things. Because, you see, for me... I've always felt this, and, you know, someone said it later, and it's exactly how I did feel. It's not about, you know, the color of the skin, your, your, you know, your ethnicity. And it's not about your religion. It's about your relationship. You know, Stevie, I, I, I've always been blown away by the song, Don't You Worry About a Thing, because in the beginning you're like, Don't, that. And I'm like, yo, homeboy's speaking Spanish. And then there was a recording of a live concert where the final All-Stars were rocking their anthem, Quitate Tu. You jump on stage, you start playing keyboard. And along this whole lines of, of identity, like, yo, are you Puerto Rican on the low? <laughs> well, you know, I'm all of it. I'm all of it. You know, I'm all of it. You know, never go back to Georgia. Never go back to Georgia. Beep beep. Oh, beep beep. No, you know, I I um, I've always been a lover of music, and the thing with um, don't you worry about a thing. When I did the demo, I was just, you know, saying some things. You know, I didn't speak Spanish, but that's I think part of the whole excitement of um. Me being raised in the Midwest, you had radio stations that you have maybe a couple of hours of Spanish music, you have some Italian music, you have some gospel music, you have some jazz, you have all these various uh, varieties of music. Uh, now you hear, you know, some Arabic stations, you hear all of the various, you know, accents. And so, like, I never imagined that I would be going to these places but all praise to God, I was able to be able to travel to so many places. And so that was me mocking so the sound of it. And then I remember the night I was going to do this song. And I just so happened to meet this girl named Rain. 
And she was beautiful. Uh-huh. <laughs> and um, <clears throat> she worked at this at this record shop, at this record store. And um, I'm like saying to her, hey, you know, it's amazing. You know, she sings, you know, she's Puerto Rican. I said, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I'm doing a little thing. You know, like, you know a little song I got called Don't You Worry About a Thing. You know, you know, you know, what can, <laughs> you know, what can I, I mean, give me something, something, I'll let you come to the studio, you know, something to say, you know, I'll say some things and it'll be a wonderful day. And she said, todo está bien siempre. And that's how I got that in the song. And, you know, we fell in love and it was a beautiful thing. Stevie, I'd like to play you a, a live recording from the party uh, back in 2008. Yay! Okay, I'm gonna give you the key right there. Y'all say, ah. Ah. See, Barack Obama. Barack Obama. We're gonna change the world. We gonna get it right. Red, Red. Yellow. yellow, brown, black, and white. We're gonna get the world right by the grace of Almighty God. I remember that, yes. Do you remember that? Do you remember? Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't heard that in a while myself. I'm like, wow. <laughs> that was. Uh, Wonderful 2008. At the Manhattan Center, Spinner and I were, were DJing that night. We weren't quite sure if you were going to actually show up to the tribute party that we were doing. So when you did, it was pandemonium. But then you got on the mic, and we didn't ask you to sing. You just did. And we didn't know what you were going to sing. And then you went into this advocacy for the eventual president. Well, you know... I knew that Barack Obama was going to become president. I knew that. And the funny thing about it is I met him a few years uh, prior to that when he was running for senator. And he came to my studio, to Wonderland Studios, and they wanted me to come and, you know, do a uh, little performance in Chicago. You know, I said, I like your spirit, and I like, you know, I feel the sincerity in your voice. And I said, I know that you're running to running for senator, but I see even more than that. Wow. So I wanted to just pray uh, for that time that you'll become president of the United States, because that's what I feel you're going to be. And we said a prayer. And it was wonderful. And then he said, let me call my wife. Let me call, let me call Michelle. Let me call Michelle. She's going to be crazy. I just believed that he was going to be president. And there were those who, as we got closer to that time, said, you know, it's not going to happen. America's not ready. Uh, you know, and lots of people that I didn't expect would say that, but I understood there lack of confidence and their fear. 
in the lack of faith in the conscious people of America. And I felt that even more than the consciousness of the people, far more than the ignorance of those who didn't want to see it happen, I knew it would happen. I believed it because I felt that there was something God had given him that he needed to touch the world with. Hey, Stevie, I'm, I'm a, a recent parent, right? I have a three-year-old, and he has reacted extremely well to your catalog when I play it at the crib. <laughs> I know that you have children yourself, and, and there's a whole new generation of lovely human beings around the world that may not be familiar with your catalog, or they may not even be familiar with who you are. When you meet someone or when you're at a concert and you're hearing young voices singing your songs knowing that there's no way they were alive when those songs were released what what do you feel inside what what resonates with you oh you know it, it it's it brings tears to my eyes you know it brings joy to my heart even to hear my little daughters Zaya and Nia say I got faith you know, is amazing uh, to hear them singing, you know, different songs that I have done. I know they weren't born because, you know, it didn't happen yet. Yeah. So I just, I just feel thankful. I just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. What more can I do? You know, what, what can I do more? <clears throat> you know, You've done Is plenty, there, my brother. <laughs> I'm done, sorry? I said, you have done plenty, my brother. <laughs> yeah, but I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, I, my thing is basically, God, you know, when I, when, I, when I think about it, I say, God, how, how can I make you even more happy? Mm. Because, you know, obviously I'm appreciative of the fans and the success and all that, but to please God is my greatest joy. And for those who might be Muslim, you know, to please, to please the God that you serve, Allah... Or whatever your religion is, like I said before, it's not about the religion, it's about the relationship. And so my thing right now is I'm thinking how can we deal with this situation where people are prostituting the most high with their negativity, with their evil? That hurts my heart so deeply. You know, and that's everywhere. And so, to me, the one thing you've heard through and through every religion is, hey, just love. Just love. You know, that's the most important thing. Just love. That's what's going to see us through. So when I hear these little children singing my songs or singing songs or you know, hearing those voices, and I think about those little kids in Manchester, and mm. you know, just going to see a concert, and then someone uses that as a as a source of uh, of their anger. It's unacceptable. I don't care who you are, where you're from, it doesn't matter. And for me, not seeing anybody, it means that I'm looking at the souls. I'm saying, wow. Am I getting too deep for y'all? 
no, 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 you good, you good. No, 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 we're good. <laughs> love it, love it. Stevie, over the years we've seen you honor various musicians who have passed at different memorial services, including Michael Jackson and Prince. Um, with Prince, once you knew that you were going to be a part of that celebration, what was going through your mind? What were you anticipating? And what, if any message, were you trying to convey? You know, it was hard to convey a message because I was in so much pain, not saying that I wasn't with the others, but we had very recently talked and talked about, you know, his future and things that he wanted to do and how inspired he was with the things that he wanted to do. And, you know, it lets you know, hey, tomorrow's not promised to anyone. But, you know, you say, God, why, you know, why him? You know, but uh, we are not the controllers of life. And that's why people need to stop doing that, trying to control life. Uh, but I was, you know, it was just painful for me. And um, as much as we say, well, we've got his music, we've got their music, we've got their art, we got their this, we got their that. I would have loved to have had some more him and them. So I have a question. Um, does this in any way give you or put you under any kind of creative pressure dealing with these losses? Obviously, these people were close to you as well, but musically, creatively, to... And I, you're, and, and I know you're active. You're very active in the studio, and you're always making music and playing your instruments. But as far as putting music out there, like, does it does it make you feel like you need to thrust <laughs> in any way a little more, like, harder and urgent, urgency, a sense of urgency? I mean, definitely. I want to try to give everything to all that I have done and finish all that is not concluded. But I have so many songs and so much music. I've been blessed so much, abundantly blessed with uh, with songs and music. So I, as opposed to thinking about, you know, let me hurry up. I gotta, I gotta, you know, I gotta beat the race. I gotta, I gotta <laughs> make it. I'm just thinking, let me just, you know, go for it and do my best. And hopefully I'll get through a lot of the songs before I can't. Well, Stevie, you have a huge collection of compositions that Spinner and I have, have really tried to share with the public, but that the public may not know because they know your top 40 hits. But what bugs me out is that we have a song here that we're going to play for you that you wrote for someone else, but that was never released by you. Sammy, hit that. I can hear the sounds you don't remember The sounds of birds and trees in harmony Chords being blown by a gentle breeze Making the perfect melody Washing away 
So mm. you, now you wrote uh, I Can See This Sun in late December for Roberta Flack. She released it. What happened? What's the process, Stevie, that where you write all these songs over 40, 50 years and you say, you know what? I'm not I'm just going to shelf this one and keep it in my bag with my, the rest of my cassette tapes. <laughs> you know, that song there, I was working on that when I was working on In the Visions. And I did cut it, but I didn't do anything with it because it didn't make innovations. And I've thought of, you know, releasing it even recently, putting it out. There's some things that I was thinking about even in this next project that I'm doing, which is going to be called Through the Eyes of Wonder, Mm. of putting uh, a couple of things out that I didn't release. When I listen to my music, I listen as a listener. There are a couple of things that happen. Obviously, when I write the songs, I'm singing the songs, I'm doing the demo, I'm in that place. But then when I work in the studio and I produce a song, I'm listening as a producer and you know I have people special with me like listen and give me some feedback that I don't want to hear, you know. But, uh... (laughs) You know, Lamar, Lamar, shout out, be quiet. But, you know... And then, um... So then I gotta, like, you know, sift through all that and decide do I agree or not? Because there's a part that I'm seeing... The complete piece. I'm hearing. I'm. I'm hearing an awe, and then just hearing maybe this thing here, where maybe I did a scratch vocal, and I'm just saying some different things. None that makes sense. I know the words. What they're gonna do? How they're gonna do? And uh, maybe at some point when we get together again, I can play like play you some of the demos, like with "Loves and Need." How are, you, I had. Are, you, are you inviting me in stretch and spin over to your crib to listen to demos? <laughs> uh, maybe you know, uh, like with um, with uh, this song, it was originally was like, oh little lady, oh little lady, I like the oh little lady, oh little lady, oh little lady, what the hell? What the man? That would have never made it. That would have never. <laughs> that was not even happening. I think the um, the fun is when you do get to uh, kind of feeling where you're going. And even if they may not get it or are ready to understand or agree with you, when you're sure about it, you just know. Like when I worked on I Wish, when it was just called We're Rolling, you know, and I was talking about like, we'll of 84. So anyway, I was like, 
Wait, Spin and- is crying right now. <laughs> <laughs> you made him cry, Stevie. Do you always have a keyboard handy when you do interviews? <laughs> You know, when I'm in my studio, I might have a keyboard. <laughs> Stevie, oh, okay. I think your music has been covered probably more than just about any other artist. Definitely top five all time. I'm just curious. And now, I'm not inviting you to speak ill of anyone, but <laughs> was there ever a time when you heard a cover and you were like, nah? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> You know what? That's one thing I'll tell you. (laughs) Never. What? Oh. (laughs) Meaning I'll never tell you who and what song. (laughs) No, no. I wasn't expecting you to actually tell me who. So then wait. So Spino, is is there a Stevie Wonder cover that you heard that you were just like, nah, why did you try it? Don't even try it. Yeah, I actually played it at one of the wonderful parties and I, I said never again. Because I didn't preview it before, and I don't want to blow it up on NPR. You know, we can talk about that <laughs> outside of this, but, but it was an embarrassing moment. <laughs> but you know what? I'll I tell you what I feel. For me, I just feel like, you know what? That was their expression. Yeah. That was their, whatever they did, that's what they did. So it's an honor that they even wanted to do it, you know? I think more so uh, it's when you go into a club or somewhere and you hear some message like, Oh, so long yeah. while the night I pray That I saw you in my way Oh, to my God. Me. <clears throat> you like that, Stevie? Yeah, it's great, man. It's great. There's a ribbon in the sky you like that, Stevie? That's incredible, man. <laughs> Coming up, it's time for the impression session. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Red Bull Radio. Whether it's the latest dancehall out of Kingston, techno from Berlin, underground hip-hop, or old soul gems, Red Bull Radio is the place to tune in and discover great music that's new to you. With in-depth interviews and live performances from festivals around the globe, Plus, music handpicked by influential artists, journalists, and DJs. You'll know what you're looking for when you hear it. Listen at RedBullRadio.com. Support for this NPR podcast and the following message comes from Blue Apron. Blue Apron partners with sustainable farms, fisheries, and ranchers to bring you all the ingredients you need to create incredible home-cooked meals. Ingredients compared with an easy-to-follow recipe card delivered to your door weekly in a refrigerated box. Rediscover how fun cooking can be while enjoying specialty ingredients and exploring new flavors and cuisines. Get your first three Blue Apron meals free with your first order plus free shipping by visiting blueapron.com stretch. So Stevie, we are, have arrived at one of our favorite moments in our show. It's called... The Impression Session. And here's how it works. We play a track. We say nothing about it. We just invite your response. And whatever it brings out of you, that's what we want to hear. And this can happen during the song as it's playing or after we fade it out. Okay. Stretch, you want to play the first one? Yeah, let's do it.
I love reggae, so you know, you. I don't care who it is. It, it makes me think of me being in Jamaica, and um, you know, or being in Montserrat with Paul, drinking a little red wine. You know? <laughs> red red yeah. wine, and uh, you know, discovering different things in life. <laughs> that's awfully vague (laughs) you know well that composition was written and performed by the late Frankie Paul who we lost recently oh wow and the song's called Worries and the Dance and um I wasn't aware of the history that you two shared um he was inspired by you apparently after meeting you in Jamaica while in school and um, and apparently, from what I read, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, uh, he expressed uh, his interest in singing, and you encouraged him, and that inspired him to to begin a a very fruitful career as one of of Jamaica's premier vocalists of the last forty years. Now, had he lost his sight when he met Stevie yet? That's cr- yes, exactly. Actually, he's known as the as the Stevie Wonder of of Jamaica. Well, we met because uh, I, I came to Jamaica, and that was around the time that Bob and I did a concert together. And you're, we you're mentioning this. Bob Marley, just for our listeners yes. who don't know who Bob is. <laughs> yeah. Not, not Bobito. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I um, gave away some uh, some devices that made this was the um, uh, technology that allowed blind people to read, to be able to feel letters, print letters that would come up in little pens. And uh, we gave a few of them away when we uh, came to Jamaica. And uh, wow, it's amazing. So Stevie, I have a song uh, queued up for you. It's off of vinyl. Um, it's a song. What's that? <laughs> Stop playing. You know you had a 45 collection back in the day. Probably still you probably got 45s in a bag that you carry. Oh man. In a, you plastic, know in a plastic shopping bag. Yeah. <laughs> and spin it once them. Yeah. All yeah. of them. Now I'm gonna play you a song, Stevie. It's gonna go a, a layer that's pretty deep and may make us all feel uh vulnerable. Um and we await your your response to it, okay? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Maybe you 
Yeah. Sarita. So, Stevie, for the listeners who do not know, of course you do, that was the late Sarita Wright, and the title of the song was Black Maybe. You composed this song, produced the album. Sarita uh, collaborated with you on Talking Book. Spin and I, we dug deep in your catalog. This one song out of all the music that you've done so intrigues me. It, I, I listened to it yesterday and it, it moved me to tears. Joyful ones, of course. But I, it's like I can't listen to it and ever really grasp the true meaning of the lyrics because I just get, and it's, it's what happens with a lot of your music. I just get so lost and the emotion and the mood and the tone and the blues chords. And I just I just wanted to share with you to bring you back to that moment that that this was recorded perhaps. Yeah, well <clears throat> Sarita was such a phenomenal talent. And um she was far greater than even I realized. I mean, her voice was so much of what you hear today. The youth, the youth, youthness, uh, youthness of the voice, the spirit of joy of the voice, the wisdom of the voice. I don't know. I I can't. I can't speak enough goodness about Sarita and her voice. And then I remember one night I was listening to Sarita and I started really crying about how much I missed her, you know, how much, you know, I wanted to be with her. Um, You know, Sarita died a few years ago now of cancer. And um, obviously, I didn't want to leave my family, but I just really wished that I could be with her again, be in her presence, just you know, be in her essence. Allow her to co- to conclude what she had not finished. Hmm. And we wrote some really good stuff together, good songs. Black maybe was one of the songs that I wrote for that first album that we did together. And it really was saying, you know, from my standpoint, the title, Black Maybe, comes from the, comes from the fact that I believe, well, listen, it has been proven that civilization began in Africa where the original people come from. And so everyone, whatever color they might be, or ethnicity, originally, their bloodline is black. So I don't care if you're the whitest white, (laughs) brown is brown, (laughs) whatever that is you are, listen, you got black in you. So in seeing that, because we all are part of the beginning of our civilization, it's saying, how pure is your heart? How much are you really down with how people are being treated because of their color, because of their sexual persuasion, 
because of their religion, you know, because of their class, because if you have uh, negativity or evil in your heart for anyone, then you are not a child of the Most High. Hmm. You can't be. And that's why I say, again, as I said earlier, you know, the, at the end of the day, the word is just love. Just love. You know, challenge yourself to getting away from the negativity, the evils of life, and just love. Well, I tell you, Stevie, uh, thank you for sharing that. And I encourage the entire NPR audience to find this self-titled Sarita album on Mo West, however you can. If you got to buy the vinyl, if you don't have a turntable, go out and buy a turntable. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because this album, it, it really ranks in my top three albums of all time by any artist. And it's, Really? You like it like that, huh? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> You like it like that, huh? <laughs> oh, you yeah, like it. Like, oh, really? Oh, that's right. Way to go, Steve. He's patting himself on the background. <laughs> yeah, I did that. But yeah, you know, it's it's something that I, I wish more people could could be aware of. And, and perhaps after this show, people will seek it out. Um, but Stevie, I, I want to thank you for your time. Um, I want to thank you. I want to thank, uh, you know, all of you for inviting me into your space. And obviously, when I come back to New York City, we'll find the most incredible Ethiopian restaurant. Oh, my God. Oh, you're talking my talk. That is my talk, too. (laughs) Bob and I just had Ethiopian food in Minneapolis last week. I'm ready for more. Thank you. Thank you, Steve. Thank you all, and um, let's get together and talk again. That's our show. This podcast was produced by Sammy Yenigan, edited by Steve Nelson and Nigeri Eaton, and the executive producer is Abby O'Neill. And a big shout-out to our VP of Programming, Anya Grundman. Special shout-out to Jessica Diaz Hurtado for helping us produce last week's episode with Regina King. You should go check out that interview if you like this one. You can listen on NPR One, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey y'all, Sam Sanders here. My new podcast is called It's Been a Minute. That's another way of saying, let's catch up. Every Friday, I'll sit down with two guests, smart talkers from inside and outside NPR, to catch up on the week of news and culture, everything. If you can't stop watching the news, but you're also exhausted by doing that, this show is for you. Don't miss out. Find It's Been a Minute now on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcast. Thanks. Thanks.